Welcome to City Reach Cumberland's weekly podcast. We hope this message blesses you. For more information about us, you can check us out on the web at cityreachcumberland.com. All right, speaking of big shoes to fill, I have to fill Phil Kiefer's shoes. So Phil has, uh, I feel like I'm like Phil, Phil has filled in for me. I'm getting in lots of fills here today. Phil, Phil, Phil. Uh, but Phil has uh, preached the last two Sundays, done a great job. And it's so exciting for me to see Phil grow in his uh, giftings that God has anointed him as a preacher of the gospel and to watch uh, a young man who just in a short period of time has just uh, had a dramatic change in life and God is using him tremendously and, and God is giving him, God bless you, uh, giving him great, uh, great insight into the word. So that's, uh, that's exciting to see also. So we started a series back at the beginning of the month, I uh, called it, it was the first month of the, of the year, so I called it First, and we started with the first teaching of the year called First Fruits, and then we, we didn't have church because of snow, and I really regret that we canceled that day. I always say I'm not going to cancel, and then we do, and then, then it never snows, and so uh, we, we had a week off, and then Phil fill, uh, filled in the next uh, two Sundays, and he brought a message called First Steps. And then last week, looked at Jesus' first miracle. And uh, I, I talked to Phil about this bef before, but I didn't get his permission, but I'm going to do it anyway. Just in case, because I heard Don Ward already corrected Phil, but I just want to clarify this. Uh, it said that Jesus changed the water into wine at Cana of Galilee, and Phil said Kenya of Galilee. So <laughs> it didn't take place in Africa. It was really in Israel. So... So if you're a little confused, I just want to just want to clear that up a little bit. It wasn't Kenya of Galilee, so uh, but Phil said he always he always says like I may not be saying this right, but we uh, we love Phil. Phil, let's give Phil a hand. He did, did a super job. <laughs> so today I want to talk to you. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 through 14 is where we're going to read. It'll be our main text. I want to talk to you today, I'm going to, I titled the message, First Move, First Move. And we read throughout the Gospels, there's a word that's only used in the Synoptic Gospels, it says that Jesus was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. And we're moved by a lot of things in life. There's a lot of things that motivate us. There's a lot of things that move us. There's a lot of reasons that we do what we do. But Jesus, in his ministry, was moved with compassion. And we see time and time again when Jesus encountered somebody, that it was compassion for that person that moved him into action. And so I want to talk a little bit today about what compassion is. And then from Matthew chapter 14, verse 14, I just want to have three points today. And three things about compassion is compassion sees, S-E-E, -E, compassion sees, compassion sacrifices, number two, and thirdly, compassion steps in or it takes action, it does something. So compassion sees, compassion sacrifices, and compassion steps in. So I want to open today with a verse out of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. It's a verse from the, the, the Passion Translation, because I, I, I like the way this reads. 
But let's read this from Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. It says, Be free from pride-filled opinions. I mean, that could be a message right there. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts. Sometimes we do things that look a certain way, but if we would open up our heart, we would find that there's some other motivation hiding in there. A lot of times it's pride. It says, don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Next slide. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interest. And consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. So I want to talk to you today about what motivates you, what moves you, why do you do what you do. And my prayer today is that as we open God's word, that you'd allow God's word to discern the intents of your heart. Hebrews says this, it says, The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing us under soul and spirit, joint and marrow. And it, the word of God, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So God's word, one of the things God's word does, it gets into the deep areas of your heart, and it will discern the thoughts and intents, so your intentions. That's what we want to open our hearts today. And if, if I can just ask you to do one thing, it's just say, Lord, I open my heart to you today. I want your word to, to discern why I do what I do. And do I have the right motives in doing what I do? And allow God's word to change you, because it will. It will. All right, Matthew chapter 1, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. And it reads like this. Now, let me just get, say that this passage is really the prelude to a, a really big chapter. Because in this chapter, we have the, the feeding of the 5,000, right? This great miracle that Jesus did where he broke bread. He fed, fed 5,000, maybe counting women and children, maybe 20,000 people. We don't know. Later in the chapter, we see Jesus walking on the water. Then we see Peter walking on the water. So there's all these great miracles in this chapter. And this is kind of the beginning of it. So a lot of times, well, people go to this chapter or some of the other uh, gospels about this. They, they skip over this. So I really want to read the beginning uh, up to verse 14 because it really sets the tone for Jesus being moved with compassion. So verse 1 says this. It says, at that time, Herod, the Tetrarch, heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had said to him, It's not lawful for you to have her. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. So here's Herod. His brother Philip has a wife, Herodias, and, and, and Herod desires her. Herod, Herod uh, starts having an affair with her. Uh, we read in another passage he eventually married her. And John the Baptist at the time, and he had an audience with Herod, he said, hey, this isn't right. It's not right for you to fool around with your brother's wife. It's not right for you to marry her. It's not right for you to have her. And it said that 
although Herod didn't like what John the Baptist was saying, he put him in prison, he just, but he feared, it said he feared the multitude, another passage says he feared John. So he, he didn't want to like do anything with him, but he really didn't like what he was saying. So here's John the Baptist is in prison. It says, but when Herod's birthday, verse 6, was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Therefore he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. So she, having been prompted by her mother, said, give me, the, give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. And the king was very sor sorry, nevertheless, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given her. So he sent and had John, the John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Then the disciples came and took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. So this is the story behind uh, what just happened. So John the Baptist is in prison. Uh, Herodias' daughter, King Herod says, I'll give you whatever you want. She says, I want, goes to her mom, says, ask for the head of John the Baptist. She says, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter right now. And even though he didn't want to do it, he did it anyway. Goes and has John executed, cuts his head off, puts it on a platter, gives it to her. She takes it to her mom. It says, then the disciples came and got the corpse or the body of John the Baptist, went and buried it, and then they go tell Jesus. Really a stun to the ministry, right? You can imagine, here's the, here's the man that, that paved the way for Jesus. Here's the messenger that was sent before Jesus, and now he's beheaded. And, uh, and it says, the disciples went and told Jesus, verse 13, when Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. Now, Mark's gospel says that he took the disciples with him, and of course, when they feed the 5,000, they're all together. So he departed by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. In verse 14, here's our key verse. It says, when Jesus went out, speaking when he stepped out of the boat, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. Let's just read verse 14. When Jesus went out... He saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. When Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. So the three points we want to talk about today are really in this verse. That uh, he saw them, compassion sees, compassion sacrifices, and compassion steps in. To be moved with compassion. It's a very tough Greek word to say, splachnizomai. And if you really get the splach, it's kind of like, like one of those words like that. But it means to be moved as one's bowels. So the reason it, it, this Greek word splachnon, it means, uh, it means your bowels or it means your insides. And the reason is because the Greeks thought that the, the, the seat or the heart of love and pity was found on the deep inside of people. So this word to be moved with compassion actually comes from the word to move your bowels. Has anybody ever had their bowels move? Right? Let's hope. Anybody have your bowels move today? Right? So here's the thing. When your bowels move, it starts with a feeling, right? Ooh. Ooh. 
Ooh, is that the Holy Ghost? No, ooh, that's my bowels. So it's this word, it means to move, be moved with compassion, to move one's bowels. It means to feel sympathy or pity. But, but it goes beyond that because a feeling of sympathy means I feel sorry for you. Or some people are like, well, I don't have sympathy, I have empathy. That's greater than sympathy. And sympathy is to feel sorry for somebody. Empathy is like, I feel sorry for you because I know how you feel because I've been there before. That's empathy is... You're, you're feeling it because you felt their pain before. But compassion is more than that. Compassion is this deep feeling of sympathy and empathy, but it comes with it a desire to help that person get out of that situation. So if you go to the dictionary de definition, which is on the next slide, it says this, a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. So it's more than just having a feeling of sorrow for somebody, right? If your bowels start to give you a certain feeling, guess what? You're going to move. Because if you don't move, you're going to have problems. See, I, when I was in college, I, I, was, I, was a, I was not a great guy. I always liked to have fun. And my buddies love to ski. I hate snow and I hate skiing. My wife, to this day, wishes I would like to ski, but I, I just don't like cold weather. So one day, my, my best friends, and they were my best friends before the trip, decided they were going to go skiing, and I, I got with one of their girlfriends. I said, hey, can you make me some chocolate chip cookies with X-Lax instead of chocolate chips? And she did, and of course, they gobbled them up on the way to the ski slope, and by the time they got on the ski slope... What started as a feeling became an action. And they, I think they set some land speed records that day. Getting down to the house, the clubhouse, or whatever it's called, the ski chalet. But see, what begins with a feeling of sympathy, there's an action connected to it. And so when Jesus is moved with compassion, he's like, oh, I got you, I see you. Oh, yeah, I feel your pain. No. He's moved with compassion, but there's an action tied to that feeling. Some people like to say it like this. They say compassion is love in action. I like that definition. Compassion is putting feet to your feelings. That just because you feel something, it doesn't stop there. That There's an action that follows it. So think about this. Here's Jesus. He's in a boat. Why is he in a boat? He had to get away. He, his, his friend, his relative, has just been beheaded. He said, hey guys, the, the disciples had just got back from doing ministry. They tell Jesus about their ministry. They also tell him about John the Baptist. And they're sad. And he says, okay, come on, guys. We're going to go get away for a little bit. We're going to rest. We're going to pray. We're going to refresh. We're going to mourn. Let's go be by ourselves for a little while. And as he's pulling up to the shore, guess what he sees? A multitude of people. Now, what would we do? Oh, my gosh. Here we go again.
kind of like when you're in the when you're in the supermarket and you say, oh. you know, get behind the cans of soda and walk like maybe maybe they won't see me. Oh, that was that was after I punched the lady in the throat. Yeah, thanks. You know, it's funny when you tell something about yourself. Nobody remembers scripture ever. <laughs> You know, I, I feel like I used more scripture than most, but I say one time I had this bad thought I wanted to punch an old lady in the throat because she cut me off, and that's all anybody remembers. <laughs> or I talk about how God can change your life. Hey, you had a rage problem, didn't you? Like, yeah, I did, but that's not where I'm at right now. Thanks, AJ. Appreciate that. We're going to talk about seeing people differently, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to change your focus a little bit. But see, here comes Jesus. They're rowing up to the shore, and here's the multitude. The multitude are coming for him, but he's coming to get away from people. And it's in that moment, it says that he sees the multitude, and he doesn't turn the boat around. It says he steps out. And when I read that, it really, this word stepped out really struck to, stuck to me because sometimes we just want to stay in our boat. Sometimes we see people that have an issue, like, you know what, I think I'll just stay home today. I think I'll just stay in my boat. I think I'll just stay put. I think I'll just stay in my little clique. I think I'll just stay in my cubicle. But Jesus steps out. And when he sees the multitude, it says that he's moved with compassion for them. This word see, it means to not just see with the eyes physically, but it also means to discern. It means to discern with the senses. It means to understand. And so it's not just always seeing something physically, but sometimes it's seeing things in the spirit. We're seeing things behind what you can naturally see because if you read Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter 6, verse 34, it, it says it this way. It said, when he stepped out, he saw the multitudes and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep having no shepherd. And so sometimes it's not just seeing that, hey, that person is sick and they need healed physically. Other times it's like, hey, that person's lost and they need a shepherd. And sometimes it's seeing in the natural, sometimes it's seeing in the spiritual or the emotional or in, in their soul. So it's just not, just not that. But, you know, it's not that Jesus saw and had compassion. And that's the way it's written, but I believe compassion existed before he saw. And then when he saw, compassion was what moved him. Because if you look at this story in Luke chapter 10... There's a story, now I'm going to take this out of context, for you, so for you Bible beaters, just hang in there. You're like, I don't want to deal with exegesis and eisegesis today, but and I just want to tell you, I understand that the story about the Good Samaritan is not being about being a Good Samaritan. It's about a lawyer that asked Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? And the story that Jesus tells is to prove to him that you can't do anything to inherit eternal life. You have to receive Jesus. So this story is in the context of a bigger story 
but I'm going to pull something out. I'm going to break the rules a little bit. Is that okay? All right, because there's something in here I want to show you. So don't email me later and say you took that out of context. Just telling you I'm doing it already. All right. Because here's what I want to point out in this story. It's possible to see the same thing and get two different results. Because you could see somebody, and somebody else could see somebody, and you see two different things. And that's the point I want to show you here. Now, you're familiar with this story. It says, a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothes and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, what did he do? He passed by. Did he see him? He saw him, but he passed by. And he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, so you could say this, the pastor walked by, saw a guy, and he did this. Right? Oh, maybe he won't see me. Nope. On the other side. And then the worship leader, the Levite, did the same thing. It says, likewise, the Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and he looked. He sees the guy. Here's the guy that was robbed, was beaten, was stripped, left half dead. And he sees him. And he sidesteps him too. Now, I get there's the issue between the Jews and the Samaritans. That, that's part of the story. Now, the next slide. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, what did he do? He didn't sidestep, but he saw him and had compassion on him, and he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, sat him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Three people. Two see the guy. Other side. One guy sees him, has compassion on him, and is moved to do something for him. Think, well, I'd never do that. You know what the tendency is? You see the guy. Now, it's a dangerous road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Dangerous road. There's robbers. It's commonly known at the time. So we see a guy. What's the priest do? I wonder if he was traveling with anybody. Doesn't he know this is a dangerous road? What do you expect? He was traveling by himself. He got what he Deserved. See, a lot of times when we see somebody, we don't see the person and what they're going through. We want to we look at what got them in that situation. Hey, did you hear that Susie got hepatitis C? What'd she expect? She was shooting up. That's not compassion. 
hey, did you hear that Joe got COVID? Don't, don't ever say this to me because I will punch you. <laughs> well, was he vaccinated? I don't care if he was vaccinated. He's got COVID. Does that matter? There we go. I told you I'm vaccinated. I got COVID. My wife, she got it. Don't say that because the minute you say that, you just walked out of compassion. I was telling somebody at work the other day, hey, you know, so-and-so got COVID. And this current person is a believer. Well, were they vaccinated? That is not compassion. Hey, my grandma got lung cancer. Well, doesn't she smoke? You know, I don't ever see any time when somebody came to Jesus to be healed that he asked them what got them there. We get hung up on the what got you there, and Jesus, in the meantime, is moved with compassion and doing something about it. See, you've got to quit looking with eyes of condemnation and start having eyes of compassion. How many times do, and this rips me up when I see, I'm not against, anybody ever look at Cumberland on patrol? Anybody ever been on Cumberland on patrol? Uh, I, see, I see some people sliding down in their chairs. That is a dead giveaway. If you just slid down, you, I know you've been on there. You ever looked at the comments? Compassion or condemnation? You know what? You see somebody on there and it's a mug shot, you need to ask Jesus, show me what that kid went through when he was six years old. Show me about how they were abandoned. Show me about how they got in with the wrong crowd. Show me about somebody that did them wrong and put them on the wrong path. What can I do to see that person the way Jesus sees them? Well, they got what they deserved. They ought to rot in hell. Hate that. Are you going to look with eyes of compassion or are you going to look with eyes of condemnation? Condemnation will not get you moving in compassion. Next slide. I threw this in here. When the Samaritan sees the guy, it's somebody that he stumbled on, right? So sometimes we just run up on a, run up on a situation. Jesus in the boat, the Samaritan walking down the street. But other times you have to be intentional about looking for people. And sometimes it's a person that did you wrong. You got the father in the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, verse 20. It says when he, the prodigal son, was what? A long way off. The father saw him had compassion on him and went back inside. Random. Sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes you have to be looking
for that person that was the very person that told you to pound sand and die. And that's what the Father did. So the question I want to ask you is this. Are you looking with eyes of condemnation or eyes of compassion? God, open my eyes to see people the way that you see them. Not the way the world sees them. Not based on what they did to get where they are. But to see them as somebody that is broken and hurting and needing a Savior. Number two. Compassion sees, but compassion also sacrifices. It says, when Jesus saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for himself. <laughs> he was moved with compassion for them. Sometimes we're so busy licking our own wounds. Ever see a dog lick his own wound? <laughs> see, sometimes we can be so self-centered, we think it's about us. What about my rest? What about my time? What about my hurt? What about my need. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, love does not seek its own benefit. Sacrificial love, agape love, is love that sacrifices. Do you have needs? Yes. Did Jesus have needs physically when he was in that boat? Yes. But he was moved with compassion for them. Let that sink in. He was moved with compassion for them. Because so often we can be moved with compassion for me. And this is where the motivation comes in. What moves you? Why do we do what we do? Why are we, why are we doing things? Why are we doing things? Why are we even doing... Deeds of compassion, deeds of kindness. What's, what's the reason that we're doing it? Here's what I notice as I read through this. Look at the next slide. I just pulled four times out of here. Every time that Jesus was moved with compassion, the writer puts in that he was moved with compassion for them. You know what the result was every time he was moved with compassion? Take a guess. A miracle. Every time that Jesus moved in compassion, miracles were the result. Imagine that. So we just saw that Jesus saw the multitude. He healed them. There's two blind men. There's two blind men. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And they thought, Don't you know this man? Jesus, David, have mercy on us. Now they're blind. Jesus says, well, what do you want me to do for you? 
duh, I want to see. And what's Jesus said? It said, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight. There's a leper in Mark chapter 1. It says this, And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeled down to him and said, If you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus had compassion on him. And I want you to know, every time there's an action connected with the compassion. It said he had compassion on him and put forth his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. Look at the next one. Mark chapter 9. So this was spoken by a father to Jesus. So this is where the, the, the disciples couldn't cast the demon out of the child. And Jesus is coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. And the dad comes up to him and says this. He says, uh, I brought him to the disciples and they couldn't cast him out. And he says, if you can do anything. Look, this dad got it. He knew that compassion was connected to something great happening. He says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. And it said, Jesus said, bring the child here. And he said, how long has this been happening? The father said, As, since he's been a child, sometimes it throws him into the fire. And Jesus says, deaf and dumb spirit come out of him. And it says, immediately the spirit left him. The kid fell down as dead. And Jesus picks him up, presents him to his father. And the last one I put up here was the next slide, Luke chapter 7, verse 13. This is the widow. She had lost her husband. Now she would lost her son. And they're carrying the son out in a coffin. And Jesus sees her, and it says he sees her, has compassion on her, and says, don't weep. And he walks over, touches the coffin, and it says, young man, arise. And it said he stood up, and he took the young man and presented him back to his mom. So we see that when Jesus moves in compassion, what's the result? Miracles. The dead are raised. The sick are healed. The lepers are cleansed. Demons cast out. So what happens, though, it says that he was moved in compassion for who? For them. But a lot of times we pursue the miracle and not the compassion for people. See, we get our motivation wrong. We become miracle chasers. You ever know a miracle chaser? And I pursue miracles too. I'm not against that. But what's your motivation? See, a lot of people are pursuing a miracle because if I could just have a miracle happen, then people would recognize the anointing on my life. And instead of becoming moved with compassion, moved by the of validation that I want validated. If I could just get a miracle to happen, people would see God's anointing on me. People would see that I am the called one. Well, let me tell you this. Miracles don't even validate people. Miracles validate God's work. It says in Mark chapter 16, it says, they went about preaching the word everywhere, God working with them, confirming the word with signs and wonders. So don't ever think that the miracle confirms you. The miracle confirms Jesus. Confirms who He is. Or sometimes we're chasing miracles because we think it gives us a greater platform. Or maybe it gives us acceptance. Ooh! 
there's a sick person. Let me get my phone out. Oh, my gosh. Let me see. Okay. Here we go. Oh, watch this. I'm laying hands on the sick. Boom. Post. Acceptance. Likes. Hearts. Slaps on the back. See, you get the cart before the horse. I think the reason that we don't see the amount of miracles that we should be is because we're pursuing the miracle and we're not having compassion for the person that needs it. And I believe that we're going to see an increase in miracles in this church, not because of the reasons you think, but because we're going to allow God to move us in compassion for people that need a touch. If I could ask you to do one thing today, it's like, God, let me see people the way you see them. Give me a heart for people the way you have a heart for them. So that I can do it because you died for them. You paid for them. They need you. Even if I never get recognized, even if I never have a platform, even if I never have a like or a follower or anything, I'll do it because they need you. Be moved with compassion for them. Makes all the difference in the world. Are you loving and serving others for your ultimate benefit or theirs? Finally, here's where the action comes in. It's one thing to see somebody. It's one thing to recognize a situation. It's it's another then to be moved with compassion. But compassion doesn't stop with the feeling. As I said earlier, you're putting feet to the feeling. And when Jesus was moved with the compassion, he stepped into that situation. He didn't stop there. In this case, it says that Jesus saw the multitudes and he was moved with compassion for them and did what? Healed them. Mark's gospel in Mark chapter 6, 34 says this, and when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep having no shepherd, and he taught them. So sometimes it's healing, sometimes it's teaching. Which one was it? Well, if you read Luke's gospel, it says that he spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed the sick. So he did both. But here's the thing. When you see somebody that has a need, Step into the situation. If they need healing, pray for them. If they need taught, teach them. When Jesus taught the parable of the the unforgiving servant, he starts out with a king that that says he wants to forgive uh, the debts of his servants, and he brings the first one who owed an insurmountable amount of money, and it said he had compassion on him and forgave him of the entire debt. Sometimes it's extending forgiveness to somebody. You know, if you're looking at somebody with eyes of condemnation, you're never going to extend forgiveness to them. Sometimes it's the person that wronged you that you need to have compassion on. Sometimes it could be like the father of the prodigal son. What did he do? It said that he saw him, he had compassion on him, he ran to him, he threw his arms around him and kissed him. And he said, 
bring out the best robe and put it on him, put a ring on his finger and put sandals on his feet, and by the way, go kill the fatted calf, we're going to have a party. Sometimes you need to restore the person that wronged you. It could be somebody as close to you as your kid, your spouse, your dad, your mom. They don't deserve it. But you see them with compassion, and you need to restore that relationship. Sometimes it is miracles. Sometimes it's healing, casting out demons, raising the dead, whatever it might be. But the point is this. Whatever the need is, compassion steps into the situation. With the Good Samaritan, what did it say he did? Sometimes it's your time. He's riding along, minding his own business, probably on the way to a business meeting and says he got off. Some of you need to get off your donkey. You need to get out of the boat or off your donkey. It says he got off his donkey he bandaged his wounds. He poured oil and, and wine in them. He bound him up. He took him to an inn. He paid for his stay. And he said, by the way, here's two, two more denarii. And if it's more than that, I'll pay the remainder when I come back through town. Sometimes it's your time. Sometimes it's your resources. Whatever it is. You need to be a channel through which the love of God can flow. That's what Jesus wants. He wants to flow through you. So my last uh, verse is this. Now this talks about having the world's goods, but I really want to apply it to anything, whether it's you're withholding forgiveness, whether you're withholding restoration, whether you're withholding... You know what? If you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you've been anointed to heal the sick. And I think some of you need to be spiritually unconstipated. Think about it. You're constipated with the Holy Spirit. You think He filled you just for you? He filled you for me. He filled me for you. You need to take some spiritual X lax. Whoso hath this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwells the love of God in him? Don't tell me you got the love of God in you when you're holding everything inside. Romans 5 5 says this it says, Hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. You got it. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and truth. Last slide. Are you withholding or releasing what God's entrusted to you? Let's stand.